One of the things that I don't understand about preachers is why do we insist on writing our sermons in a vacuum? What I mean by that is essentially writing our sermons alone. I mean, sure, we've got our Bible, we've got our Logos Bible software, we've got our commentaries, and we've got our habits and our workflows, and all that stuff needs to be in place. And we're in prayer and submitting to the Holy Spirit and His guidance. But at the end of the day, it's just us staring at a computer screen, hoping to come up with a new, fresh perspective on this text, make it come alive, and do all the things that we need to do in a sermon to inspire people toward life change. And we do it week after week after week, all by ourselves. I want to propose a different solution, and that is to bring other people into the process. We're gonna call it a preaching team. This is something that I've been teaching on for years and helping churches form them, and I've been a part of them myself in two different churches, and they've been incredibly effective and helpful at solving this problem of sermon prep in a vacuum. This is going to be instrumental in your ministry. If you've never done this before, or if you are looking to kind of break away from some old habits of just sitting in front of your computer, hoping for the best, this is going to help you. And we're going to dive into it. This is episode 83 of the Preaching Donkey Podcast. My name is Lane Sebring. I am your humble host. It's great to have you here. If you're new here, thanks for stopping by. I would love to give you a free gift. If you would be so inclined, go to preachingdonkey.com slash 21 days. This is my 21-day guide to creating killer sermons. It's a three-week, three-step process that will walk you through how to create and deliver a compelling message. So whether you've been preaching for a long time and you're looking for a fresh perspective, or if you are brand new to preaching and you're trying to figure out how to put all this together and make your sermons happen, there's something in there for you. Preachingdonkey.com slash 21 days. Grab that. It'll be a great companion to what we're talking about today because as you are preparing your messages and as you are delivering your messages, bringing other people into the process in a strategic way is going to really, really help you and make it easier for you and make your sermons more effective. So let's dive in. This is actually an article that I wrote back in February of 2015 the Preacher's Guide to Preparing Sermons in a Team. So let's dive in and see what is in store for us. By the way, here's what we're going to go over today. We're going to talk about why we prepare alone. Like what, what are the reasons why pastors tend to prepare their sermons alone? What could be wrong with this model? Like why would, it, why would that matter? What, what would be the problems with it? And then we're going to talk about how to get started forming a preaching team, and then I'm going to challenge you to give it a shot, okay? And that is going to be our episode for today. This is going to be a kind of beefier episode. We're going to do a lot of things today, and I hope that you are ready. You might be running on a treadmill right now. You might be commuting to work. You might be doing the dishes and listening to this or running or whatever. Uh, whatever you're doing while you're listening to me, I feel very honored, and I hope to honor your time today with some good, helpful things that will, will give you some great things to do. So here we go. Preachers do weird things. One weird thing we do is prepare sermons alone. Every week, you have to get up in front of a group of people and say words. Those words have to be engaging. They have to be powerful. They have to be motivating. They have to be encouraging. They have to be accurate and practical and spiritual 
all at the same time, every single week. <laughs> and yet you prepare alone, all by yourself. I think this started with Moses. He went up on a mountain and heard from God. He came down and told the people, this is what God said. We've never really changed the model. Preachers have been preparing sermons alone ever since. I used to prepare my sermons alone. I would read commentaries, watch sermons, read articles, but it was mostly just me by myself. If you're like most preachers, you prepare alone. The problem is you are not Moses. You're not an Old Testament prophet. There's nothing requiring you to use this method. To go up on a mountain, hear from God, come down and say, thus saith the Lord, that's not really our role in our capacity. I'm not saying God can't speak to you in your study. This is the thing that I want to make very clear. You should hear from God as you prepare. If you've been preaching for any length of time, you know how exhilarating it is to spend time in prayer, study, hear from God, and come out with something to say. There's nothing like that. But this should not lead to you thinking that you must uh, prepare every sermon alone, that it has some kind of supernatural thing that only you can access. That's just not the case. So the question then is why you prepare alone or why I prepare alone, why every preacher tends to do this as a default, at least when you're starting out. Why do you prepare your sermons alone? I can't get inside your head, but I do know what I have thought from time to time, and you and I probably have some things in common. There are four reasons why you might prepare your sermons by yourself. Number one, your pastor used to go in a room and hide for 20 hours. <laughs> Maybe your pastor was committed to spending several hours a week hidden in his study to hear from God. This was assumed as the method in seminary. You don't see any need to change things up. So when I was coming of age and a young minister, the pastor that I worked for as an intern, when I was just a lowly student ministry intern, the lead pastor at that church would spend 20 to 30 hours just locked up in a room studying for his message. And I just thought, okay, well, that's what you're supposed to do. I guess one day when I'm a senior pastor, I'll spend 30 hours sitting in a room, staring at a computer, bored to death. That will be my life. And honestly, that doesn't really fit with my personality. I never really, I thought, what does he do in there? Like, why, why, why so much time alone? I, I just, everybody's different. I'm, and if it's, if that's your thing, that's cool, but don't do it just because you've seen someone else do that and you think, well, that must be what I need to do. Well, maybe it is if you're wired that way, but maybe it's not. Maybe there's a way that will work better or more effective. And just because you've seen that model doesn't mean that's the way you have to do it. And if anything out of this episode, if you just get kind of freed to say, Maybe it works for some people to spend 30 hours in a room staring at a computer, but for me, maybe my sermon prep needs to be a little bit more integrated with my life. Maybe it needs to be more uh, communal with other people. Maybe there's some other ways that I can do it that aren't just me staring at a screen for 30 hours. Number two, you see it, okay, you see preparing alone as a more spiritual experience. You are God's man, and it needs to come from you or it won't have the right amount of pastor sauce. After all, you were, if you were to prepare with others, then wouldn't it cheapen the process? So sometimes it's this idea that, well, I'm the one who's ordained. I glow in the dark. I went to seminary. I have the experience. So why would I bring people who are on staff with me, but they're not at my level or volunteers or much less people in my church? Ugh. 
<laughs> why would they come into this holy process, right? So maybe that's why. Number three, you want to take all the credit, okay? If you hold yourself up for days in a room with books and come out with the most profound truths anyone has ever heard, then you can bask in the glow of your insights. Everyone will be in awe and you will be the star. If you develop content collectively, however, others may find out that you didn't have every insight originate with you. So there's this idea that, well, I want to be able to say, yes, I wrote this message. Those profound insights that are life-changing and uh, unbelievable to you. And you've never heard anybody put it quite like that before. That was all. I mean, yes, God as well. But it was mostly me. But also God, but mostly me. Okay. Number four, you think your ideas are the best. Why talk to anyone else? It's not like they're going to contribute something you don't already know. Why ask what interns think of your content? Ugh. You're, you're the one with a graduate degree in theology. Why ask a group of people to give you feedback before you complete your sermon? They haven't been preaching for years like you have. Perhaps you prepare alone for no other reason than it's just what you do. What could be wrong with that? Obviously, this is a matter of preference. I do want to mention this. This is not a sin issue. It's not a sin to prepare alone. Just not a, just like it's not a sin to prepare with a team. I'm not trying to say you're in sin one way. It's not, that's not the issue. The issue is this is a matter of preference, but I have found that it's far more beneficial to your preparation process to prepare sermons, at least in part, in a team. And I say at least in part because there is a part of the process where you need to be alone because you are the one that's going to get up and and deliver this message, which means you need to put in the time by yourself to work out what you need to work out to get this thing ready. But there are parts of the process that you benefit from preparing in a team. So what could be wrong with this model? The model of preparing alone. What could be wrong with that, right? So those are the reasons why a lot of us kind of default to preparing alone. But what's wrong with that? What could be wrong with that? Well, if almost everyone does it this way, how could it be so bad? If you prepare your sermons alone week after week, you draw from the same well, and eventually it runs dry. You start to tell the same stories, use the same examples, select the same scriptures, and teach in the same way. You alone prepare sermons that you would like on topics that interest you for the benefit of others, right? It doesn't make a lot of sense, but this is the standard method of many pastors. Have you ever been in a church where you go, okay, here's the story about this. You know, here's the story about when he went to Kentucky and he broke down. Here's the story. Oh yeah, there's that same joke. Oh, here's the same four examples that are all about sports, right? So that happens because of preparing alone. That's the result of just the same person sitting at the same desk with the same set of books and the same computer screen trying to come up with new ideas every week and it's just hard. What happens when week what happens when week after week your sermons have been prepared by you sitting in a room with books and a computer? What happens after years of limited input from anyone but you? There are three primary outcomes of preparing alone. Here's what happens. Number 1, your sermons lack relational depth. Your sermon should be rich with relational insight. The stories, examples, and applications that you use should come from a variety of relational experiences. This only happens when you bring others into the process. The more input you get from different kinds of people in different life situations, the better chance you'll have of connecting with more people. 
I benefit tremendously by getting input from people who are not like me. I'll talk to a single mom and ask her to give me feedback on something I'm planning to preach on family. I'll run a concept by a senior citizen to see if it will connect with them, et cetera, et cetera. Right? So you want your relate your, your you want your sermons to have a relational depth that is very difficult to achieve when the process is completely isolated. So keep that in mind. Number two, you miss your blind spots. You have blind spots in your life and ministry. We all do. These blind spots show up in your preaching. Developing sermon content can be one of the most vexing things we do as preachers. You can be so consumed in study and excited about the material that you don't realize that it will make no sense to most of your listeners, including others in the process of your preparation keeps you from running with an idea or concept that won't work. So sometimes in sermon prep, you don't know what you don't know. And sometimes you can be a little bit esoteric, a little bit confusing, a little bit kind of out there. And if you have a team of people who are structured in the right way, where they can be honest with you and give you the kind of feedback you need, it can help you to go, oh, okay, well, if we do this, I'm going to have to really explain what I'm doing or whatever. Number three, it all depends on you hearing from God. Way too much pressure is put on you when you have to come up with every piece of content every week. You're not infinitely wise. You can't possibly know every week what exactly needs to be said. Preparing in a team draws from a pool of greater wisdom. Instead of being just you who needs to hear from God, why not have a team of people hearing from God? So those are the reasons why I, I think it lacks, well, that's what's wrong with the model in terms of its effectiveness. So if I have convinced you that preparing in a team could be something that would be beneficial to you and that maybe it's worth a try, I want to talk about how to get started and how to give it a shot. So here we go. I'm going to give you some practical tools on how to start preparing your sermons in a team. This practice changed everything about the way I prepare sermons and enriched my preaching experience. I went from solo preparation to a team-based model. My sermons improved dramatically. They became much more connected to my listeners, and I'm convinced that a purposeful team approach with intentional input from others at every stage of preparation has been the thing that has most improved my sermons. I said that in 2015, and I still believe it, that purposeful team approach with intentional input from others at every stage of preparation has been the thing that has most improved my sermons. Still believe that today, seven years later. It's important to recognize what constitutes a team. For the purposes of sermon prep, a team could be a structured group that meets regularly. I recommend that if you can do it. Or it can be an unstructured collection of people you seek out to collaborate with, right? So if you're, let's say, in a bivocational situation where you don't have like a staff that's there every day of the week with you, but you have key volunteers, you have people in your in your church that are key leaders that you can reach out to, that would be uh, great as well. Our preaching team is made up of our pastors who preach in the main services, the service programming coordinator, other staff members, and a note keeper. We keep each week to do four things. So we, we meet each week to do four things. So this was when I had a preaching team at this church that I was at when I wrote this article. I was at this church for 10 years. We had a lot of time to really hone this in. And so here's what we did. We prayed. The most important part about our team is that we continually pray for upcoming services, preaching series, and sermons to be effective and powerful. We recognize that no amount of collaborative planning can replace God's movement among his people, so we pray for him to use us. So that's the first thing we did. And by the way, one of the things that I mentioned earlier, and I want to bring this back up, is that everybody that was in this meeting, not not everybody that was in this meeting actually preached. It did include anybody who was part of our preaching team, and in terms of 
people, pastors who would preach on rotation, which I highly recommend. I don't, I don't think it's wise or helpful to preach every week as a matter of course. Um, as the lead pastor, you're going to preach more than anybody else, but definitely have people on your staff who also preach and include them in the preach, preaching sermon planning process. That's really helpful. But then we also had people who were involved in service planning. We had involved in worship, you know, ministry creation, all those kind of things, and then some key leaders and volunteers. Number two, we would think and create together. So we use the time as an opportunity to bounce ideas around and think together about what kind of teaching content the church needs in the coming weeks and months. Number three, we would do long-range sermon series planning. So we'd look at the coming months and plan the teaching series we're going to do. Sometimes this would require a separate meeting to plan further in advance, things like that. And then we would do short-term sermon planning. So we typically look at three sermons at a time, the upcoming week and the two weeks that follow. On weeks that I would preach, I'd present the basic flow of my content to the rest of the team. We try to boil down the objective and desired response of the next three sermons. I did a whole podcast episode on what an objective is and what a desired response is. You can check that out. This ensures that our goals for the service align with the thrust of the message. It also gives us something to evaluate the following week to see if we hit our target. So every week, our sermon has a target. It has a desire. It has an objective, what the sermon is trying to do. Then it has a desired response. This is what we are trying to hope, we're hoping people do with the message. So what the sermon is to do and what people are to do with the sermon. But then our worship service also has an objective, what we want the worship service to do and what we want people to do with the worship service. So all of these things are tied together. We don't want our sermon to have a totally different objective and desired response than the worship experience itself because then we're, we have two visions. We're divided. We don't want that. We want, we want everybody to be on the same page. When the meeting is over, collaboration continues throughout the week informally. I'll also seek input from a variety of different people to make sure that my content makes sense and communicates what I intend. So that's important. So here we go. Give it a shot. You can do a structured team. So this may be where you're ready to launch a structured team that meets regularly. A great place to start is with the people who already are involved in leading your services. Maybe your worship leader, another staff member, a lay person who is invested in your church. You may be surprised to find that people are willing to contribute if you let them into the mysterious world of sermon prep. So when you reach out to people and you say, hey, you know how I get up and preach every week? Well, I'm looking to put together a team of people who will give me input and feedback on that. People go, wow, you want to include me in that? That's kind of cool. Yeah, absolutely. Now, another way is unstructured collaboration, right? You don't need a structured team to begin preparing collaboratively. You can take steps toward it now. Think of your sermon in terms of phases and consider what kind of input you can get each step along the way. So whether you have an unstructured team or a structured team, you want to think about your sermon in four phases. Before your study begins, once you have began your study, after you have a rough outline, and then after your sermon is preached, right? So before your study begins, that's phase one, discuss your message or topic with others. Write down what ideas come to mind from your discussion. So if you have a team, this is when you would get together and say, we're going to do this sermon series coming up in March. So let's talk about it. Here's the text we're going to be using. Uh, Let's read through it. Let's talk about it. So before the study begins. Number two, once you have begun your study, so take what you have, have from your initial stages of study and bounce ideas around. Talk to others to see what they have learned from that passage. 
So the, the first stage is kind of that before study happens, that planning stage. Then we talked about once we begin our study. Number three, after you have a rough outline. So you do some work to put together the outline based on your discussions. And so you bring that outline and you walk your team through your outline and ask for feedback. As you say it out loud, you'll begin to solidify your thoughts. A lot of times when I'm working with my team on my outline, I'm asking for things like, hey, this, these are the points I wanna make, or this is my main point and my supporting points, but what I really need is, I need, some, I need an illustration to kind of help make this idea come alive. Here's what I'm thinking. What are your, what are your thoughts? Do you, have you ever had an experience where? What are, what are some of the ways that you've related to this passage? And I take a ton of notes. And I don't use every idea that they bring to bear in the same way that when I'm participating on a preaching team, I'm not expecting the, the person who's preaching to use everything I say. But it, it's part of the, the process of deepening this and making sure that we're getting a really holistic view of, of, of the, the opinions and, and perspectives of a lot of people who are uh, helpful. Number four, after your sermon, get feedback. To help prepare for the next one, ask people for meaningful feedback. If it was good, what made it good? If it was bad, what made it bad? For a guide to getting more helpful feedback, check out my podcast episode that I did on how to get better feedback. My preaching has benefited tremendously from this method. My sermon gets a great start as I prepare to meet with the team. It is solidified in its direction as we think through it together and as I study and bounce ideas around with a lot of people, it helps me develop a more impacting sermon. So give it a try, see what happens. You may find that your sermon prep becomes more fun and your sermons become more effective. I do wanna mention one more thing before I close out this episode. The people that are on your preaching team, especially if it's a structured team, just make sure it's people that you trust, people that are wise, people that uh, are, you know are walking with God. They don't have to be perfect people. They don't have to be ministers. Uh, not that ministers are perfect, right? <laughs> you, you know, you're you're a pastor. You know that none of us are. But you want to make sure that the people that you have are people that you can trust, and the people that have your back, but are also willing to be honest with you and say, you know illustration you gave didn't quite make sense, or it was cringy, or I didn't understand what this, what your application was for this, or your bottom line didn't really come through. You have to be able to really trust people to get that kind of feedback, and you have to really ask for it and invite it and welcome it, especially if you're the lead pastor, you have to lead out on this. So give it a shot, experiment with it, build it slowly over time, and let me know if I can help. Until next time, remember if God can speak through a donkey, he can speak through you, and he can speak through me. We'll see you next time here at the Preaching Donkey Podcast.